let me welcome all of you that are out there um, on our online campus watching right now. I'm glad you're with us. I wish I could see your faces. It's always way better to sing or to preach to people when you can actually see their faces. But I'm glad uh, that you're out there. I'm glad you can at least see my face. Now, here's the deal. If you live in the series area, okay, you live somewhere around series, I want to encourage you. If you've never been to our series campus, it meets at the series community center at 10 a.m., on Sundays, man, I want to encourage you to go. That is a group of incredible people who love Jesus and they'd love to have you come and check them out. Maybe you live somewhere in the Modesto area. Sure would love to have you come to our Modesto campus. We meet Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings 9 and 11. And all of our services, whether they're at Ceres or here in Modesto, they're live, they're in person. If you want to wear a mask, you can. There are many that do wear masks. There's plenty of room in both of these campuses for you to spread out a little bit. But we sure would love uh, to have you join us sometime live. But I'm super thankful that you're with us uh, now. So... Matthew chapter 5, okay, everybody turn to Matthew chapter 5. Um, and in Matthew 5, God gives us a, a template for experiencing real, genuine happiness down here on, on planet Earth. The creator, our creator, is telling us, his creation, you and I, how to be happy while we're down here on planet Earth, regardless of the circumstances that we're in. I want you to look at verse three, okay? It says, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. This is all about recognizing that you're spiritually bankrupt before God, which then leads you to call out to him to come into your life. You repent of your sin. You surrender your life over to God. And God says, when you do that, the kingdom of heaven is yours. And that's where real, genuine happiness begins, is when you surrender your life over to God and you know your eternity is settled. Look at verse four. Blessed or happy are those who mourn. This is all about recognizing what your sin did to you and especially what your sin did to Jesus. You might be wondering, what did my sin do to Jesus? Well, Jesus has to leave the glories of heaven to come to planet Earth and die a horrible death on a cross for your sins, right? To make it possible for your sins to be forgiven. And you recognize that and you, and you grieve over it or you mourn over that. Verse 5 says, blessed or happy are the meek. This is all about humbling yourself before God and submitting your life to him and his word because of all that he has done for you. Verse six, blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You hunger and, and thirst to, to live right, to live like God wants you to live. You live your life according to the word of God. You, 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 you want to live right because God is the one who made you right. Now I want you to notice that these first four Beatitudes all have to do with your relationship with God. 
They're all about how you see yourself in light of who God is. They're all about how you're to relate to God. Because how you relate to God determines whether or not you'll experience real happiness down here on planet Earth. You gotta understand a few things about who he is and about who you are, and when you get that right, wow. There is a depth of happiness that's really hard to explain. But everything changes when you get to verse seven, or the fifth beatitude. Now Jesus is going to talk about how you relate to other human beings. Because how you relate to others has a lot to do with whether or not you'll experience this happiness that God wants you to experience. Look, look at verse seven. Jesus said, blessed or happy are the merciful. This is about treating people the way God treated you. He had mercy on you, right, while you were yet a sinner. This is uh, really what I called compassion in action. Then last week, Pastor Joel unpacked verse eight for us. Blessed or happy are the pure in heart. This is all about keeping your life clean from sin, confessing your sin. If you didn't listen to that message, maybe you weren't able to see it or listen to it, I highly recommend you go to our website and, and you know download it, listen to it when you got some free time or actually watch it. It's a phenomenal message. Now today, we're gonna zero in on verse nine, okay? That kind of gets us all caught up. Verse nine, okay, everybody there? Blessed or happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers. Blessed, happy, are the peacemakers. Let me uh, begin by quickly sharing with you what a peacemaker is not, okay? And see if these sound familiar to any of you. Okay, here we go. This is what a peacemaker is not. It's, it's not pretending there isn't an issue to be dealt with. It's not running from a problem. It's not avoiding a, a conflict. I don't want to talk about it isn't, isn't peacemaking. Always giving in isn't peacemaking. Allowing others to run over you isn't peacemaking. Letting the other person have their own way all the time isn't peacemaking. And I want you to listen to this last one really carefully, okay? Compromising biblical principles for the sake of peace or unity isn't peacemaking. Someone once said, peacemaking is not appeasement and it's not avoidance. It's actively seeking to resolve a conflict. And the reason why I throw out all of those things that you know, peacemaking isn't is because probably all of us at one time or another to bring peace between us and our spouse or us and our kids or us and our parents or us and somebody we work with or whatever, somebody in our small group or whatever, maybe we've done one of those things. And that's not peacemaking. So why should you even care about being a peacemaker? Why should you care about helping you know, people resolve their conflicts? I'm gonna give you three things real quickly. 
Okay, then we're, then we're gonna end super practically. I'm gonna give you three things. Number one, unresolved conflict messes up your relationship with God. If there's no other reason to deal with the conflict that you have, it's this one. It just messes up your relationship with God. Our brother John penned these words in 1 John chapter four. He said, we love each other because the love the, because the Lord first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but they hate their Christian brother or sister, or they're in conflict with their brother and sister, that person's a liar. For, for we don't love people we can see. How can we love a God whom we cannot see? That makes sense, doesn't it? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. That's a command. And when you don't follow the commands of God, you just can't be at, at peace with God. It just goofs up your relationship with God. Here, here, here's what I'm maybe trying to say. When the horizontal isn't right, the vertical isn't right. Does that make sense? Do you get that? If you've got messed up relationships down here, conflict down here, unresolved things down here with your spouse or your kids or somebody you work with, somebody in your small group or you know somebody in your neighborhood or whatever it is, when this is messed up, it impacts this. That's why it's important to kind of kind of grasp of this, if you will. Here's a second reason. Unresolved conflict messes up your prayers. And I thought this one was really interesting. Our brother Peter penned these words. He said, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, and that just simply means this, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Isn't that interesting? If you're in conflict with your spouse, it messes up your prayers. And I think the principle is true whether it's your spouse or not because getting along with people, your spouse, is important to God. And if you got a problem with your spouse, you're not getting along with your spouse, God says, hey, listen, when you come to me, I'm not listening. I want to make sure this is okay. I want to make sure there's peace between you and your spouse or you and your kids or you and whoever before you come to me and start talking to me about whatever it is that's on your mind or, or heart. Listen to what Jesus said later on in Matthew chapter 5. Okay, this is really, really powerful. So when you offer your gifts to God at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift right there at the altar. Go and make peace with that person and then come and offer your gift. What? Man, being, being okay with people down here is super important to God, right? 
This was a radical thought here. Jesus is, is saying to the people of that day, if you arrive at the temple with your gift in hand or your sacrifice in hand, in other words, you're there at the temple to make things right between you and God, and you suddenly remember that there's a conflict between you and someone else, Jesus says, leave your sacrifice there and go get right with that person first. One of my favorite theologians said this. This really, I've looked at it all week long. This morning I woke up and was kind of going over the message and I just pondered this for a long time. This theologian said, quote, true worship is not enhanced by better music, better prayers, better architect, or even better preaching. True worship is enhanced by better relationships between those who come to worship. Worship may be improved by our staying away from church until we've made things right with those whom we know our relationship is strained or broken. Now, I don't know whether you agree with that or not. I don't know. But I can look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and go, you know what? I think he's kind of saying that. You want your worship of God to be incredible. You got to make sure everything's right down here because if it's not, you're just not going to enjoy all that God wants you to enjoy when you enter into his presence. And last but not least, number three, unresolved conflict just messes up your happiness, doesn't it? <laughs> Our brother Job pins these words, you may tear out your hair in anger, but will that destroy the earth? Will it make the rocks tremble? One version says, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. And that's true. That's absolutely true. Unresolved conflict in your life will just drive you crazy. It ruins your life. It takes control of your body. So, so it's really important that we learn to be peacemakers. We need to learn how to resolve conflict in our homes, right? For some of you, this is gonna be a great message. You got conflict in your home right now, right? It might be at work. It could be at school with friends, it could be with our kids. It could be with our, our, our parents. It could be with our spouses. Look, when I'm in conflict with Aaron, my wife, I'm miserable. It, it, the joy of the Lord somehow is just sucked right out of my life when I'm in conflict with my wife. When I'm in conflict with my kids, I'm miserable. When I'm in conflict with somebody that I work with here, I'm miserable. When I'm in conflict with just about anybody, I'm basically miserable, okay? So, so it's super important that we get a handle on this. And I think for a lot of you, this is gonna be a huge blessing for you, all right? Let's take a closer look at um, peacemaker. Number one, here we go, ready? A peacemaker knows and has a relationship with the God of peace. I want you to know, the Bible opens up in the Garden of Eden, and there's peace. The Bible closes in the book of Revelation, and there's peace. And everything between those two moments in history, whoo, just buckle your seatbelt. Everything 
is just goofed up. And it's all because of sin. Sin brought conflict into the world and it just messed everything up. So God creates everything and there's great peace in Genesis 1 and 2, right? And then it ends, you know, in the book of Revelations with great peace, we're all in glory in heaven. But because of sin, wow, sin just messed up everything. Sin made you and I enemies of God. Sin brought you and I into conflict with our creator. And you need to understand this. See, a real peacemaker knows and has a relationship with the God of peace. But, but you might be saying, well, Pastor Rick, okay, so how, how do you make peace with God? How does that happen? Well, Romans chapter five says this. And this might be the most important part of the whole, the whole message. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Did you hear that? For some of you, God is drawing him, you to himself right now. Something's happening, right? Your heart's beating a little bit faster. Right now, your eyes are opening. Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. How? Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Romans chapter five really gives us a, a better understanding of how this peace happens between us and God. And that's through our relationship with his son. Romans chapter five goes on and says this, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we'll, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I don't know if there's a, a, a more clear place in scripture than these two passages we just looked at in Romans of how peace is made between us, human beings, and God. It all has to do with Jesus Christ. That's it, period. Jesus came to this planet and lived a, a perfect, beautiful, sinless life for you, for me. He went to a cross and he shed his blood, royal blood, sacred blood. And it's that blood that cleanses us of our sin. It's, it's that blood that potentially can make everything right between you and God. And all you have to do is surrender your life over to him. You've got to give your life to Christ. And at that moment, the greatest miracle of all happens. You go from being an enemy of God to now there's peace between you and your creator. You ever done that? Have you ever made peace with God? Maybe, maybe the best thing you might do right now in, in your home or wherever it is you're watching this 
Just turn off the TV. Don't worry about the rest of whatever it is I'm gonna say. And just spend some time praying, saying, God, I need you in my life. Because everything else I'm gonna say doesn't matter unless you know the, 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 the Lord, the one who can make peace between you and God. It could be you're sitting right now around a table or in a living room with a whole bunch of people and you've never made peace with God. You know what you need to do? You need to look at whoever's house that is and tell them, will you turn that TV off? Turn the computer off. I need to make peace with God. And you know what? Who cares about the rest of whatever it is I'm gonna say because the most important thing is is that you let the people know right now in that home that you're meeting or that apartment you're in or wherever it is. I don't care. It could be in the back of a motorhome. I don't know where you're at. All I know is that right now God is drawing you to himself. He wants there to be peace between you and him and that only happens if you give your life to Christ. So it's okay if you turn everything off. But here's what I'd like you to do. At some moment, will you uh, uh, text Pastor Brandon? He's gonna come up at the end of the message and let him know, hey, I prayed that prayer. I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. I made peace with God so that I could be praying for you, so that we as a church could be praying for you, so that the online community that you're a part of could be praying for you. Number two, a peacemaker introduces others to the God of peace. And in a weird way, I just did that to a whole bunch of you. Yeah, I'm up at a pulpit and, and I'm talking to thousands of people, but I just did my best in a short amount of time to introduce the one who could bring peace to to everybody out there. Christians aren't, you know, an elite group of people who have spiritually arrived and now look down on everybody else. We're just a bunch of sinners who gave our lives over to Jesus Christ and peace was made between us and God. And now God commissions us to go out and try to help others find peace with God. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. So, so let me stop right there. At the moment that I received Christ, at the moment I allowed Jesus Christ, the, the Prince of Peace, the greatest peacemaker there ever was to come into my life. At that very moment, my sins were forgiven and God no longer holds my sins against him. It's all gone. And he, that's God, gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That, that, that's what I'm doing right now. All I am is God's ambassador, and here I am speaking to, I don't know, thousands of people. Many of you have already made peace with God, but I know that there's one or two or 10. I don't know how many of you out there. You, you've never made peace with God. You didn't turn off your, your TV set a minute ago. 
You, you, you thought you didn't need it. You don't believe it or whatever. And here I am, and I am in this mouthpiece for God, and all I'm doing is saying to you, come back to God. Come back. And the reason why it's come back is because he created you in the first place. But sin so damaged your life, it so damaged my life that I didn't even believe in him, just like some of you. And now here I am, trying to be a peacemaker between you and God. I'm his ambassador, and I'm asking you right now in that living room or that kitchen or wherever you're at, come back to God. Give your life to Christ. Make peace between you and your creator. And I want you to know, every one of you out there that knows the Lord, You've, you've asked Christ into your life. There is now peace between you and the Father. Guess what? You're his ambassador too. A peacemaker makes peace with God. That, that's number one. But then they go out and they got to tell others about the God of peace. This is not a, a moment where we give our lives to Christ and then, well, it's all over with. No, it's at that moment that God says, okay, you're it. You're the person that I want to go out to bring peace between me and others. I'm so thankful for those that were in my life when I was younger who understood the fact that they were called to be a peacemaker. They were called to help bring peace between me and a God I didn't even believe in. And I often talk about those guys because without them, and I don't know where I'd be today. And so let me just tell you, if you know Christ, you're called to be a peacemaker. You wanna, you wanna experience deep down joy and happiness at a level you can't understand? Let me tell you something, go out and do your best to bring peace between someone you know and God. And let me tell you something. There is no greater joy than leading somebody into um, peace between them and God. It'll keep you up at night. I think about all the people that I've had the pleasure of leading to Christ. Are you kidding me? The greatest thing that could ever happen in their life? I, I was used by God to help somebody you know, experience peace between them and their creator? Wow. See, it's one of the reasons why it says that you will be called sons of God. The son of God came to seek and to save that which was lost. The son of God came to bring peace between us and the father. And so when you use your life as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, you're bringing peace between others and God. Guess what? You're just like the son of God. You'll be called a son of God. And let me tell you, that'll bring joy to your life. Bring incredible joy to your life. Let me ask, when was the last time you opened your mouth and told someone about the Prince of Peace? When was the last time you did it? When was the last time you, you prayed that God would give you an opportunity to share the difference a relationship with Jesus can make? When was the last time he did that? Look, 
I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty out there. That's not my, my, my goal. You may feel guilty, and that's simply because the Holy Spirit's working in your life. I'm just asking you a question. Blessed are the peacemakers, those that work hard, pray hard to bring peace between whoever and, and God. Well, the, three and four go hand in hand. They're, they're, they're similar, and I'm just gonna kind of go through them real quick here, all right? A peacemaker helps bring peace between others who are in conflict. So now I'm moving. I'm, I'm, I'm moving the, the thought here. The, my first thoughts were it's all about God, okay? It's all about you and God having peace, and then it's all about you being used to bring peace between others and God. Now, now I'm moving out to the horizontal, okay? See, a peacemaker not only helps end the conflict between men and God, but they also try to end any conflict between men and other men or women and other women. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, God has called us to live in peace. That's what he's called us to do. And so when we see conflict out there, whether it's in our own home or a buddy's house or somebody in our small group's house or could be, uh, you know, wherever it might be, you know what? We, we got to take some action. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace, then the God of love and peace will be with you. Obviously, it's important to God that once peace is made between us and him, that we are used to help others experience peace between God and him. But then it goes out this direction. God wants us to do everything we can to bring peace or help bring peace between others. Number four, a peacemaker works hard to keep peace in their own relationships. And I chose that word right there, works hard. Because <laughs> it's hard work, isn't it? It's hard work. So how do you do this? How do you help two people that are in conflict? What, what are the steps to, that, that bring peace between two people? Look, I'm no expert, but I have read a few books in my life, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a, a, a few thoughts, okay? And before I share them with you, I wanna make thing, one thing super clear, okay? God's peacemakers will not always be able to bring peace. Jesus makes this crystal clear in the last beatitude that Pastor Joel will unpack for us next week, and that's persecution. Persecution follows peacemaking. Jesus was the prince of peace, yet he was not able to bring everyone together in peace and harmony. And if Jesus wasn't able to pull it off, the chances are pretty good you won't be able to do it either. There are times when God's peacemakers can actually make people angry. There are times when having peace is not within your control. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 12. He said, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. If it's possible, okay? Sometimes it's not possible. All you can do is your part. You may want peace, you may want to end a conflict, but unfortunately, some people don't want peace. 
okay? They don't want peace. In fact, a lot of people just enjoy conflict. But I'm gonna give you a few things real, real quick. Here's the practical piece, and I only have a few minutes. This is the practical part of the message, okay? Just don't wanna give you a bunch of data, and, and, and that's it. I want, I want you to you know, live this out in your home, your job, your career, your family, or whatever, whatever it might be. Here, here you go. Pray for the person or persons that are in conflict. That's the first thing you always want to do. Pray for their salvation. Pray God's blessing upon their family. Pray their health would be good. Pray that God would, you know, be revealed in their life. Pray that their heart would be open to reconciliation. Pray for God to, to somehow open up a window when you could meet or discuss what's going on. It always begins with prayer. You want to be a peacemaker? You want to bring peace between God and your friend? It begins with prayer. You want to bring peace between maybe somebody you're in conflict with down here? It begins with prayer. If you've got two people that you love dearly and you want to try to help out, it always begins with prayer. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous man, person, is powerful and it's effective. And I want you to know there have been many times when I was going, a meeting had been set up to try to bring some sort of reconciliation, and I just began to pray, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I got a phone call saying, hey, listen, we worked it all out. I never had to do a thing. Because prayer works, it matters, and so it begins with prayer. No, number two, you gotta plan a, a time to, to meet. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, so when you offer your gift to God at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go and make peace with that person, and then come and offer your gift. You gotta pray, and then you go, okay, I've prayed, I've prayed, I've prayed, and then you gotta set up a time when you can meet. And Solomon said, in Ecclesiastes, there's a proper time, place, and procedure for every matter under the sun. And he asked God, God, give me the right, right moment. When can I meet with my buddy? When can I meet with my, my dad? When can I meet with my spouse? When's the best moment for us to talk? So you pray, and then you plan. Number three, care about the other person's feelings. I know what some of you are thinking. Rick, you, you always tell us to forget our feelings. No, you, you don't listen to me. God gave us feelings. I'm glad I have feelings. What I always tell you is, is that most of the time they're irrational. You don't make decisions based upon your feelings. It's the truth that sets you free, not your feelings. But we do need to care about other people and their feelings. Listen to what Philippians chapter 2 says. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. When you finally get together, you've prayed and you set up a time and now you're together, I want you to spend time thinking about that other person. I know you've got a whole bunch of stuff in here you want to share and all that, but I want you to do what the scripture says and I just want you to spend a lot of time thinking about them, what they're going through, what they're feeling, Look, if you're a parent of more than one child, you know what you are? A peacemaker, right? I mean, 
Think about it, tug of war over toys, in-house fighting, you have to listen to your kids and you need to be sensitive and empathize with both of them. You need to care about both of their feelings or in some cases, three or four kids' feelings. And that's what you need to do. You need to care about other per- people's feelings. I'll, I'll tell you a great passage, keep in mind. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He said, so in everything, do to others that you would want them to do to you. So here you are, you've prayed, you've set up a time, and there you are. I want you to keep that thought in your mind. I want to care about their needs more than my own. I want to make sure that I treat them the way I'd want to be treated. And then number four, you attack the issue, not the, not, not the person. You can't focus on fixing the problem and fixing the blame at the same time. It's impossible If you go into the meeting thinking you're going to blame the other person, then just forget about having the meeting. Proverbs 15 says, a gentle answer quiets anger, but a harsh one stirs it up. Engage your, your mind before you engage your mouth. Be sincere, not sarcastic. Don't condemn the person. Don't criticize the person. Don't compare the person. Say things that build up the other person, not tear them down, right? Ephesians chapter four, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. And that certainly includes the person you're in conflict with, right? And then last but not least, and this is the big one, reconciliation, not resolution, is the goal, okay? Reconciliation, that's the goal, not, not, not resolution. You see, reconciliation focuses on the relationship. Resolution focuses on the issue or the problem. You, you may not be able to come to a resolution about something, but you can still reconcile. That's what God wants. You may never agree on the issue. We just came out of a political season where you know what, you had two sides that just, just couldn't agree on anything. There may never be any resolution in your home. I know of homes where, you know, the husband voted red and, you know, the wife voted blue and they got all kinds of problems in their home right now. And what they both are trying to do is they're trying to find resolution. And you know what? They're not going to find resolution, but they have to find reconciliation. It's okay if you don't agree. It's okay. Look, two good, godly people can have honest differences, and many times those differences won't or they can't ever be solved. But what matters is the relationship. And a great illustration in the scriptures is Paul and Barnabas and a kid named Mark. Paul and Barnabas were both really, really good men. Paul was just... A great, great godly man. Probably the greatest theologian who ever lived, obviously outside of Jesus. He was the greatest theologian who ever lived. Barnabas was his buddy. Barnabas was no spiritual slouch. They were like really good friends. 
And they went on a missions trip and they took this kid named Mark. You can read about it in Acts chapter 15. And while they were on this missions trip, it got a little, it got a little hairy, got a little scary. And Mark couldn't handle it. And Mark left. Mark left the missions trip. And he ran all the way home, kind of like imagine a dog running all the way home with his tail between his legs. The kid got scared. He got afraid. And he left. And so these two men went about their missions trip and they came back and there came a moment when they said, hey, why don't we go on another missions trip? And they both went, man, what a great idea. And so, you know, Paul and Barnabas start packing their bags, getting ready to go out to encourage the churches that they planted, start to do another trip. And Paul says, man, well, let's leave tomorrow morning. And, you know, Barnabas says, great, I'll go get Mark. And Paul goes, what do you mean you're going to go get Mark? Yeah, I'm going to go get Mark. No, 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 you ain't going to go get Mark. That kid's a scaredy cat. That kid's afraid. That kid took off on our last trip. I don't want to take that guy with us. And the Bible says in Acts 15 that their disagreement, Paul and Barnabas, was so sharp. Um, they're never mentioned in Scripture again. They both went their separate ways. They didn't go on another missions trip together. Want one went one direction, the other went the other direction. These were two godly men. Now, I like to believe, even though it doesn't say it in Scripture, I like to believe that these two guys got back together again and that there was reconciliation. Don't know it to be a fact. My point is, is this. This side of glory, it may be hard. Good godly people will disagree about things. There's going to be tension. But I'm telling you, if you, you'd pray and you'd set up a time and you'd care deeply about the other person's feelings and you go into this thing thinking to yourself, you know what, I'm not going to attack the issue. That's what I, I mean, that's what I'm going to attack is the issue, not, not the person. And if you've got this in your mind, I think the chances are pretty good that you'll see yourself being somebody who brought peace, maybe between two brothers, maybe between you and a brother, maybe between you and your spouse, you and your kids, you and your parent. I don't know who it'll be, but if you'd put these five things into motion, watch how God uses you to be a peacemaker. I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Brandon's going to come and wrap up our gathering, okay? So, Lord, thank you for a chance to be here. Man, the music was just crazy. That was crazy great. Thank you for all the hard work that they put into their skill. Thank you, Lord, for this beatitude, the, being a peacemaker. Thanks, Jesus. Man, the word of God is just super weighty and challenging. And if we all took this one beatitude really seriously, imagine what might happen in our homes and our, 
in our churches, in our small groups. Wow. Really, a revival could break out. Thanks, Jesus, again, and I pray this in your name. Amen.